The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to Season 6 of Comic Book Nation. The only show that does it all for geek culture and the official podcast of comicbook.com welcome to the show i am your host kofi outlaw and with me today i have my comic book nation co-hosts six seasons strong and counting mr matthew aguilar what's up everybody and mr connor casey is also with us what up and you might have seen if you're watching this live on any of our live video platforms, we have a special guest who will be joining us halfway through the show. We just gave you a little teaser. One of our <laughs> favorites is coming back to the show, but more on that later. Little program notes up front. This is the season six premiere of Comic Book Nation. And as it implies, we've been sitting here doing this for the past six years of comicbook.com's run as their official podcast. We are an entire little growing podcast network in and of itself. So already this week, even though this is our main show, our live show, Time Honored Friday show, we also have The Pull List, our regular comic book focused spin out show every Wednesday where Matthew Aguilar takes the reins, tells you what's big in comics, breaks down the biggest storylines and even talks with some of the biggest creators in the business. So every Wednesday, all you comic book fans, don't miss the pull list. Plus, we also have another spin-out show right now, which is Riptide Radio. Liam Crowley and a whole bunch of other Percy Jackson and the Olympian fans get together every week after that show drops new episodes Tuesdays on Disney+. Plus. They break down the episodes. Liam has been talking with the cast the creators. He's got it all. And joining him on the ride is friend to our show. Also, Nicole Drum. So be sure to check that out if you're a Percy Jackson fan. Now, back to our main live show. We are live here every Friday where we literally do it all for geek culture. We got a variety of subjects we cover, as you will see today, plus multiple bonus episodes. So subscribe to our Comic Book Nation YouTube channel. We've got interviews with the Iron Claw cast, Percy Jackson stuff. It's it's going wild over there. Plus, you can also find all of our work on comicbook.com. All right, that's our uh, season six opener where I got to do the company rundown. Let's get into the show today. Today, we are going to be talking about Marvel's What If season two. We're going to tell you guys the crazy stuff we got sucked into watching over the holiday break. 
We are also going to give you some rapid fire, real quick reviews of all those fancy movies that are heading towards the Golden Globes and possibly the Oscars because this ain't that show. But we do like to keep you informed and we do have a fancy side we like to talk about. And I believe that's about. Oh, no, we got to. Oh, my God. We got so much to do. We got to review the new film Night Swim. We got to always cater to Matthew Aguilar's agenda, and I'm sure he has stuff in the agenda this week. So let's get to it. All right, jumping back up top. What did we start with? Oh, I started with holidays. Yeah, just catching up with my co-hosts out here. So, Matt, hello, Connor. I haven't seen you guys in a little bit. We all got a little (laughs) bit of time off between Christmas and New Year's. And I was curious, as a fun kind of little aside, what did you guys get sucked into watching? over the holiday binge let's start with mr connor casey and i think you're hitting a, i think you're doing the job of helping us hit a couple things at once right so yeah uh, i was i was bad in terms of actually binging shows over the past week i i beat super mario rpg i like i said i got that stack of games i need to get through i started partially because of matt's ringing endorsement i started final fantasy remake on ps5 the ps5 God. port uh, about five hours into that right now. It's it's good. It's fun. But that that was taking up a lot of my free time. So as far as shows, I got through all of What If Season 2 and I got all caught up on Monarch. So we'll knock those two out right now. As far as What If Season 2, it started off really good. I thought after I thought Season 1 was probably one of the weakest things of the MCU's Phase 4. And that's a low bar considering some of the stuff we had to put up with on that. I thought season two was definitely an improvement. I think it's still, it still has the problems where when it's just taking one character, slotting it into the plot of another movie, and then just playing out that movie, it's boring. There's an episode late in the season with Hela just doing the plot of of Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. And I'm just sitting here going, I saw this movie. It was better when it was live action and had the characters it's supposed to have. Instead of just a random Taika Waititi insert. When it's making its own stories, setting the Avengers in the year 1602, when it's saying, hey, what would happen if of Ego's plan from Guardians 2 actually played out and Peter showed up and the Avengers had to form in 1989, what would that team look like? I go, that's that's actually a really interesting question. What, what would happen? And we see what happens and it's fun. When they do a Christmas episode, where Happy Hogan is basically John McClane, who can also turn into a purple version of the Hulk. That's a fun time. But then it decides at the end, oh, we're still going to do the thing where a couple of these episodes have continuity, and we need to have all of our toys in the toy chest clash against each other and throw around our action figures. That was when I was like, eh, this still still doesn't work for me. What if stories are supposed to make you think and you're supposed to have fun with it? And that just felt kind of lazy. So there's about four or five episodes I would recommend folks actually go out and watch. That's much more than I can say for season one. There's only one episode I would say go out and ser- search that one. And it's the Stephen Strange one. I think we're all kind of in agreement that was the highlight. With this, there's a there's a decent handful. Um, so in that sense, what if season two is actually worth checking out? And it was it was fun getting to see an episode a day as they uh, they did their little different way of unveiling everything and then wow did anybody else catch up on that one? Oh no i mean i i watched it all yeah i mean this is part of our main subject today but uh i didn't want to take up your binge watch time but we got to get into it because this is the one i've been waiting to talk about because sure. 
I feel like I'm in a what if universe because I feel like if if nothing else, this is maybe a referendum on how crazy of a year Marvel has had that we've gone from what if season one being like dead last at so many people's list to now everybody watching what if season two and be like, oh, that was, uh, that was so bad. I kind of like what if no more talk about some of the things we got, like no more talk. OK, we, same animation last time I checked, same replacement voice actors last time I checked and. I'm sorry, but I think it's nuts that we say that there was like better lines of episodes because I actually did take the time to go back and look at both seasons. I feel like people in this season are mostly living off this 1602 episode in the Kahari episode, which is admittedly better than a lot of things I've seen Marvel do recently. Yeah. But like season one had some really good episodes like the Strange Supreme episode is one of my favorite MCU stories. We got a Marvel Zombies story. We got Which was like, one of the uh, weakest episodes, though. And when and when they show back up in the finale of this one, I groaned. I was like, oh, not this crap again. Right. But compared to I'd rather see that stuff personally than Blade Runner Nebula, uh, Death Race Tony Stark instead of, you know, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, what was the other one that I was kind of rolling my eyes at? Oh, the Happy Hogan Die Hard Christmas episode. It's just like all of Wow, you didn't like the Christmas episode. Interesting. It made me glaze over. Come on, like guys, uh, like uh, I haven't said my piece yet, so I haven't I'm not in agreement or not agreement. I'm just saying that's interesting because that is one of the I'm just talking to somebody for the record. I did not rate what if season one that low. I thought it was fun. I didn't mind. I mean, people complain about Star Wars animation. I got all over all, all that a long time ago. I knew this wasn't the exact actors. I like I'm not hung up on any of that. I thought it was actually just a fun exploration of what we could do. And I don't, I think this season felt more like honestly the leftovers of season one that didn't make the cut. I mean, I could see how several of these stories could have resulted in Avengers that we got for the multiversal Avengers, except that there were cooler people to pick from. Right. Yeah. So like, that's what a lot of it felt like. And they tried to slap a new kind of story arc and thematic arc on this is, you know, this season's about how people can change or like what small choices can vastly make people change their character, either for good, bad or back again. You know, I got all that. So I think what's different now is Marvel has had a lot of suck in the last year. So people are kind of giving this a little bit easier. Right. But also yeah. This feels when we got the first season, we weren't into this multiverse saga deeply yet as mm -hmm. deeply. So it didn't feel what if just felt extraneous. Now we can go back and they've done a good job at hooking into some, at least making us feel or think that this is more relevant to the multiverse saga of it all. Right. Um, and in that sense, it's why I think I liked the serialized storyline, like out of this whole series, the captain Carter of it all is like the most worthwhile thing I'm getting out of this whole series is that Peggy Carter's captain Carter feels like an important character that I would love to keep following uh, and so I kind of dug it. I glazed over at that final episode because the battle just got so ridiculously big and out there that I was just like my, it was Michael Bay time. Like my brain just yeah. couldn't keep with it. I just kept looking away and looking back and be like five minutes later. Oh, they're still blowing each other up. Okay. Um, but yeah, there were some definite highlight episodes, but weirdly enough, I did like some of the things where like, like I said, I didn't like Nebula Blade Runner so much when they're doing these kind of riffs on movies as so much as they did the small character changes. Like I liked the Hella 10 rings thing, even though it is the same beats as Shang-Chi with Hella, because it, it shows you 
both kind of what Hela could be and like how that whole Shang-Chi thing kind of really needed his character for that specific outcome and like what happens when you change it. So I, I dug it. It's still kind of in the same place for me. It's in the lower, not quite bottom end of the MCU, but it's just, it's been hilarious to see the perception changes amongst like Marvel Twitter and pundits and being like, trying to treat this small little piece of content that clearly Marvel didn't have the utmost confidence in because they binge dropped it day after day um, in kind of being like, wow, this is so worthy of deep discussion and so much deeper analysis. And we're not going to write this one off now because things have sucked to this point. But um, I I think it's a matter of expectations where we were still really hopeful for all the Disney plus stuff when season one came out and for it to be such a disappointment, the fact that this is a little bit better, I think, goes a long way in the eyes of a lot of fans. Yeah. Matt, you just need your time. Well, I don't know. It's just, it's, I'm in a weird place with what if, man. It, uh, within the MCU framework, it just, uh, it's like one of those things when you have a multiversal saga, the way that the MCU has built theirs. Let me say that because I I think it depends on your approach to it, obviously, because like both the big two have multiverse stuff. It's, it's been ingrained in the DC side of things forever, but I just think what if as a concept works in the comics, uh, number one, because you have way more things to pick from. And I, and I think that's actually where this season shines is in the moments where the, you know, having an original character, I think that's smart. I think you bring in an original character, you go for like something really different in that in that thing, and then see the ripple effects and stuff that they cause within all the other established characters. I think that's strong. I actually think the idea of the Happy Hogan thing, because you don't see that it's it's a character that yes is present, but you're not is not overutilized. So like, yes, it seems fresh with that character. Like I like that stuff. Like take those risks. I think those are strong. I agree with Connor wholeheartedly though. I think when it goes to let's make literally one, let's just swap a character and then make the same movie. I just think that's so bland. And those are the worst. What if issues, (laughs) those are like some of the most mundane changes in what if stories are actually some of the most like thought provoking. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, it was always like stuff like, oh, hey, what if Daredevil became like the kingpin? And then you see like all the ripples that that creates. It's it's making one small tweak, but it's making a tweak that isn't just swapping out a plot beat. And that that stuff gets on my nerves. I just, I, ugh, it's that, you know, that MCUing of everything. <laughs> we don't have to do that. There's, you have such a big toy box. Why are you limiting yourself to just like stuff the within best- the movies? Some of the best what if comics are you change something, you see that domino effect and the world ends because of it. That's why that yeah. Stephen Strange episode was so interesting. Yeah. And no, I mean, and I, I push back on the look, some of this stuff were good ideas, uh, but, you know, just because I have characters and stuff that I would love to see, but I'm not dinging them because they didn't devote a whole episode to cardiac. Like, give me a break. Like, that's not like that's not why I'm dinging them. I didn't ding them because they're not using Moon Knight in every episode. What I'm saying is, though, that those are boring. The episode, some of the the concepts innately are boring because they are literally just swapping a beat and that's it. You could literally put 10 other characters in there and have the same story. For a what if to work, 
it's got to connect more than that. It's it's got to have more tethers to something that like gets you thinking about the possibilities. And for me, some of those didn't land. Ironically, you know, it's 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 a weird thing because uh, some of my favorite episodes, I do think I agree with Kofi in the sense that there is revisionist history going on already of like <laughs> how you know everyone's like all of a sudden on board, and I do think some of it is just because like it's the end of the year. Some of these are just kind of hitting the right notes for people, and it's been a down year for the MCU. So I do feel like this is maybe getting heightened and built up a bit more than it would. Uh, but I enjoyed some of the one or two of the episodes at the first season one, and I love the. I will say the MVP for me is also Peggy Carter. Uh, I Captain Carter is like one of my favorite characters uh, in the comics, and man, has she translated to screen. Uh, even her brief live action appearance uh, was was great until all that happened. You know what I mean? So um, I, I hope that means bigger things for the character. I think she's been a linchpin and I love watching the seasons because of her uh, and a few other key people. But I, I just think I actually enjoyed the teaser for what if season three that they released. Um, I just need them to take more chances, I guess. And, and you know, get out of the same wheelhouse and I, and I just maybe that means that you need to go to the comics more instead of just playing with the mcu toy box has already been established i don't know uh but i just need something else to spark some things in in season three i enjoyed it some of them more than others it's a mixed bag i think i mean i maybe i'm the only one picking up on this because i've heard a lot of people talk about this season but i haven't heard this said but i think something like that came out really in the hella 10 rings episode. It's like, when you ask yourself, why does that episode exist? There's a lot in this season that they low key do to address one of the biggest criticisms we've had, right? There's more done in this season of what if to unite the Marvel cosmic universe in its concepts and the whole concepts of like how, I think one of the best things about the hella episode is it it's the only time we actually address like how does our as guardian life and their culture relate to this whole other thing that's like a border between dimensions right mm-hmm. like all of that gets much more kind of addressed there's much more cro- cosmic crossover in this season than we get elsewhere in the MCU so there are kind of some interesting things they did cooking with that that i was Absolutely. like okay I see what you're doing here but um yeah all right well that's that's what if and uh what if this is one of the only things we're getting on marvel tv for the next long while so mm-hmm. i know echo's coming out all, all at once on tuesday and i'm sure there's a show that'll be addressing a lot of that but uh yeah bro <laughs> enjoy this what if glow up the i'm comment- excited for echo oh yeah me too i'm not an echo hater i'm just mad that they just dumping it all out um, I thought we could have stretched that out a little bit, but again, it's been interesting to see what how Disney is viewing this content and and what they should be doing with it right now. But uh, Connor, you had another binge watch pick that I'm excited to talk about, so uh, why don't we jump into that? I did. I got all caught up on Monarch. I think we've got one episode left of the season. Yes. Um, Kofi, I, I know you're hyped on this one, and I'm not gonna rain on your parade at all for this, but. I think I figured out why I've been so kind of lukewarm on this show. And it's, I wish this had come out in like 2016, a couple of years after the original Godzilla movie. 
because I think about everything that has happened in the monster universe since the 2014 original. We've had the Skull Island stuff. We've had King Ghidorah show up from outer space, unleash all the Titans. Godzilla has to fight him. They all bow to him. We've had Godzilla versus Kong and a Mecha Godzilla shows up powered by the brain of King Ghidorah and a crazed mad scientist. And we're about to have Godzilla team up with Kong to fight a giant bunch of monkeys. And that's going to be fun. But to do all that and then do this show, it's like if we did a show now in the MCU where a bunch of people went, guys, I think there might be superheroes in this world. It's like, gee, you think everything that this show is hitting on? It's like, guys, we've done Hollow Earth already. We're, we're, on, we're about to hit movie number two with that. We've done the stuff with Monarch. You want to go back and talk about the origins of it? Cool. But so many of those scenes are just three people standing around asking military folks, hey, can we have some more money, please? I, I don't need Godzilla in every episode. I don't need a bunch of crazy Titan designs. But th this, for as crazy as we're going with this on the film side, for this to be as lukewarm as it is, it's just kind of a letdown. Um, I think... I've if we had been having this conversation weeks ago, I would have very much been agreeing with you that it was kind of getting slow. I think episode nine does a lot to explain why we're getting this show uh, now and like what's going on with it and like how it factors into the MonsterVerse. Basically, this is uh, an intercool retcon, right? If to put this in comic terms, like this is a retcon. It's saying like, there's stuff that's happened in these films, but we didn't understand the full scope of the story and the world. And I'm pretty sure it's because they're going to do some pretty nuts stuff with revealing more of that when we get to Godzilla Kong, the new empire, and how that whole thing is happening, right? Mm -hmm. And episode nine does some pretty big kind of reveals about, you know, Hollow Earth, the background of that, and and what goes on with that whole realm and stuff. So... Now, let, let me ask you this, Cove, because you guys, obviously, if, if there's smaller details in the show, we're writing about it. But does that does the whole time dilation thing of, hey, if you're there, time moves a lot faster out in the real world. Does that track with what happened in Godzilla vs. Kong? Because there was no sense that, hey, they were jumping out and it's been 20 years. No, but the thing is like and and then there's they have like one small of one small kind of way, which is in Godzilla vs. Kong was all about, they built these crafts, right? That were able to just travel through these portals as opposed to kind of like going in the wake of the monsters and having to use this janky method they used in the past, which could be the only kind of explanation of like what happens is through the passage of the portal. I don't know. I don't know where they're going with all this. I just know that it added at least a little bit more intrigue to the hollow earth theory and it adds a little bit more intrigue to the character so that like when you see John Goodman's character in Skull Island, you have a little bit more depth and background to it. But it has been kind of dry and getting there, right? Like it's not been the most thrilling ride. And I've been doing a lot of thinking because I was hard on Godzilla minus one when it came out. And this was just starting. And I was like, well, I'm kind of excited by this and kind of was lukewarm about that. Um, there's still a lot I don't like about Godzilla minus one technically, but it does already kind of create a more interesting dynamic between humans and monsters than we've gotten out of this show in nine episodes. And that's saying something. Um, 
People in the comments are talking about Fargo. I didn't put this on it because I haven't been binging it. I, I've just watched it as it come, came out. But yeah, Fargo's dope too. Shout out to Fargo. Um, but I think with this ninth episode, Monarch is at least proving that it can do some interesting things with the franchise in that a season two could after Godzilla X Kong when maybe they're playing less in the shadow of what's come before and mapping out new ground, I think could actually be interesting. Matt, you you been catching up on this at all? Or are you still? I gave up. I hit, gave uh, up? Wow. <laughs> jumped off like uh, episode yeah. four. It was like episode four. I just was like, nah, I got, it was just, there was a lot of other stuff to watch. And I was just like, I tapped out. Like it just didn't keep my, it didn't keep my interest. Um, I'm all for the, like, I'm excited for the next movie. I'm all aboard the MonsterVerse. What I'll probably do is if, you know, with Kofi's ringing endorsement of episode nine, I might jump back in just to see what that big stuff is. But it's just, man, it didn't keep my interest. It was just not enough happening. And there wasn't enough, uh, there wasn't enough intrigue from episode to episode for me to like keep me in. I'm all for a slow burn and stuff, but like, it was just, you know, Half of it was just boring. And some of it was just like, I, I've already seen this. Like, there was some of that. We were just going over information to Connor's point of like that I know. So at that point, I was just like, you know, <laughs> I'd rather watch other stuff, which we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'd rather watch other stuff. Cynically, my concern with the whole, like, the big reveal of the Hollow Earth thing was that they signed on Kurt Russell and went, oh, crap. If we actually stick to the timeline of this, he should be way older than he is. How are we going to fix that? Uh, 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 time travel. No, I think, I mean, you're very cynical, yes. But, I, like, I think I think they signed them both to this as the kind of linchpin in this season of, like, why he and, and his son Wyatt are playing the same role and how that functions is kind of, like, the mystery linchpin. I think a lot of this whole season was around the linchpin of episode nine and what it reveals about hollow earth and all that. And I think that's really just, a, this has been an elongated exploration to get to that point. Like this is what hollow earth is. This is why we can't find it. We started a long time ago when we knew Monarch started, but this is like why it's been so messed up to figure this all out. And I think that's because we're going to get deep, like literally and figuratively, we're going to get deep in the hollow earth in this next movie and find out there's all a bunch of secrets in there. And so we got to start setting that up now. But yeah, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, the real truth is, I, I mean, I'm enjoying this because I kind of have to slough through it and make the connections, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to anybody to jump into as a monster. It's just like, go watch the easy movies, right? Yeah. Like just go watch those. And if you're that invested in it, come back and watch this. But otherwise, and then yeah. read the excellent articles by Kofi L. <laughs> articles. All right. So thanks, Connor, for both giving us your watches and helping us knock through some of these subjects at the same time. Um, me, uh, I took some time to get away from everything that I watch for this show and get back to some uh, quality things that I hadn't watched in a while. So I went back and kind of got sucked into watching The Wire. You know, HBO has been flooding the zone on Hulu. So every time I open Hulu, HBO has a bunch of stuff they're throwing in my face with that max connection. Like, yeah, you should watch this. And I saw The Wire and I was having a slow day and I was having this weird kind of crisis because there was some point in the holiday where I was like, I don't have enough stuff to binge watch right now. Like there's nothing 
so good. Monarch wasn't going to do it for me. And I was just like, I got to watch something good that can really hold my attention all day. And so I just pressed play on the first episode of The Wire and was like, uh, let's see if this this does it. And like, yeah, I was right back. Um, the Wire is still, I will say, the greatest TV show like possibly ever produced, like TV drama ever produced. Um, season four, best season of TV in just indisputably for me, the best season of TV ever produced. And it's scary how well it holds up. It, it's heartbreaking and scary. Like classic rap records, like it, it's this portrait that this paints of inner city America and everything that's wrong with it is still so relevant that it breaks your heart that so little has changed. And it's literally been 20 years since like the second season came out and so little has changed. And if you don't know what the wire is about, if you've heard about it, I'm sure it's a story about Baltimore, Maryland. And it starts off in the first season about a group of cops who are trying to use the non-existent resources of the police department to put together a major crimes case to take down a local drug cartel run by two guys, uh, Idris Elba, Stringer Bell, and um, Wood Harris's Avon Barksdale. And what it did is point, it was one of the first series to paint this very complicated portrait of cops, robbers, and really give you the full kind of scope of the street from, you know, seasoned Baltimore reporters and writers like David Simon and Ed Burns. And so each season expands out. The first season is just about cops and robbers. The second season includes ports and shipping and how that plays a role in the drug trade. The third season incorporates kind of politics and how politics uh, like influences cops and, and social policy. Fourth season incorporates school and kids and the youth, and that's the best season ever. And the fifth season brings in the newspapers and is the closest to home with reporters, the news, how it gets decided, how it gets reported, and all of that. And by the end of this, you literally have a portrait of pretty much every side of an urban city that's in decay. And like, why is it falling apart? Um, I even wanted to write a thing. I might still like the 10 best kind of secret stories of the wire because there are these tiny little, when you watch it as a binge, it's so much better because there's so many tiny little character arcs, tiny little crossover moments between random characters and all these little Easter eggs buried in the show that like, is just, it's phenomenal. And it, every, it just keeps you going. And if you've never pressed play on the wire, I suggest you start uh, they've remastered it. It's now out of that old box set ratio. It's fully HD and widescreen. And uh, yeah, you should definitely. It is criminal that so many of you still have not watched this. I'm not going to get into all that. It's criminal that the industry has awarded this show nothing. No Emmys, no nothing on all the years that it's been out and you know i guess some shit is just too real sorry for the language but you know I mean, it, 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 it dropped during like the sopranos's second half right so that was yeah. that was that was where the, a lot of the thunder got stolen oh no but it didn't know that was a thing like people that was the kind of miracle of the wire no, i'm, I'm like, talking like award season stuff oh yeah but it didn't even get nominated it did, never even got looked at it was just streets and then dvds that lived on as a cult hit dvd for so many years but it's just ridiculous that we've never gone back and awarded the actors the producers the writers the just the show itself as being a milestone and they need one of those legacy emmys one day so that was the wire and i went back and rewatched it and i suggest everybody do too 
The other thing that I watched and been keeping off uh, and been keeping up on for sure is Reacher. Reacher season two. And man. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about all the people who came up in the wire. Michael B. Jordan. Just uh, that trailer alone. It's like a oh, who's man. who of. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how many of those people are so famous now. Um, but uh, Reacher season two. Not only have I been watching Reacher, but I got my whole f- I got my parents and they were like, have you been watching this Reacher? I was like, bro, of course I've been watching Reacher. They got in season one. They're hopping through season two. And, you know, we were on board for Reacher season one. And man, this show, we talked about it when it premiered, but like, I'm not going to talk too long, but like the first season was one of the, one of our breakout hits because of how it used the restrictions of COVID so smartly and still made a great show, even in a small town, limited sets, limited ability to put together large numbers of people, all that stuff. It still made a great show. Season two has had more budget, more scope, and has not wasted a single dime of it. I am psyched. Spoilers. I have not seen today's episode, but I've had people freaking out about it on the side, and I can't wait. Guys, what have you been thinking about, Reacher? Dude, this show rules, man. Like, this is, uh, and I mean, I'll just uh, segue to this one made my list as well. <laughs> this is my second uh, pick. And I mean, I echo everything you said. I mean, I I adore the first season. The season is fan- fantastic. But I think here, that strong central mystery and him bringing all the, all the flashbacks that they've done have been so well executed. All of the layering with the, the characters, like, having him interact with people he's had this history with is just so much different than the first season when he's really meeting all these people for the first time, like you are, except for like maybe one or two different, you know, characters, everybody else is new. And that's just kind of the concept of that season for here, for him to have to tap into history and all this other baggage and stuff. And then you put all the reacherness on top of it, of his just moving from moment to moment and how he approaches things man it's so good like this this show rocks and i i i'm it's crazy because i like i know didn't they uh already tease a season three i'm very excited for the the show to move on um you know i don't know how much bigger he can get (laughs) dude it's swole i don't know how much uh bigger he'll come in season three he's gonna be just you know this is massive dude but like this is fantastic uh i i adore the season i feel like i hope it's one of those things where because we're getting this so, you know, at the end of last year, early this year, I hope like people remember this when we're talking about like end of year discussions and things of like, oh, man, because like this deserves the the praise. Well, man, we just like they can crank out another season by the end of the year. That's why this show is like so such a smart one for Amazon. Like you literally can crank out the next season by the end of this year. Yeah. So echo all the things. It's all it's awesome. All right. Well, you can take us home into the break with your last holiday binge watch. What'd you get into? Well, actually, uh, much like uh, Kofi, I was uh, kind of looking for something to, uh, you know, just I don't know. Every so often, you just kind of kind of check in with stuff you love. And um, I was just wanting something in the realm of politics. Uh, I've always enjoyed shows that kind of tackle that subject. Uh, and then I I have rewatched The West Wing you know, multiple times all the way through. Uh, and I just like 
push play on a push play. Like I actually push play on something, but like <laughs> hit the hit the X button on my PS5. Hit the X button and like started watching. I don't even think I started with the pilot. I think I started like episode three or something, just because it's like one of a, it's a personal favorite. And then I've slowly found myself, you know, working my way into season two already. Like it's just one of those things where you just you hit the next. And you keep moving, and it's just so smartly written. I love Aaron Sorkin's writing. You know, there's a, there's always been a thing of, of like he he writes how people aspire to talk, and he writes how people aspire to be, and you know, ideals and all that kind of stuff is central to his dialogue. And whether that's real world or not, I just enjoy it. I enjoy it on screen. Uh, and there's, you know, it's just it's so smartly written. It's they deal with so many, uh, ironically, in a very different way. Just like The Wire, uh, nothing has changed. Like the same topics are being, <laughs> are being talked about, the same arguments, the same battles of, you know, whether this bill should pass and what we should attach to it and why this matters to a whole other part of the world that, you know, it's it's kind of that deals with that narrow focus of, you know, Americans sometimes and not seeing the bigger picture. And so there's just so much of that that is very relevant today as it was then. Um, and I just, and it's funny and it's sad and it's just, man, it's, it hits all the spots, man. This is a fantastic show. I look, okay. I've already started, uh, James, I've already started, uh, my rewatching of season 24 of SVU getting ready for <laughs> season 25. I've already got my organized crime. It's already, it's already up here, man. So I'm ready. I'm already ready. That was pre-holiday binge. For the new audio listeners, you're hearing producer Jim Viscardi come in and throw a monkey wrench into a <laughs> yelling at Matt that he's not watching enough reruns. All right. Thank you, Matt. Uh, we got to take a break. Pay, take a bake. Take a break. Pay some bills. And when we come back, we want one of our favorite guests of the show to join us as we are going to break down all these fancy movies heading into the Golden Globes Oscar race. Stay tuned for that. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Back to season six of Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the official podcast of comicbook.com. I'm your host, Kovi Alon. If you missed our first half, we just caught up with each other and talked about all the rabbit holes we fell down during our holiday season binge watches. Now that we've gone through all of that, I'd like to bring in one of our favorite guests of the show. He was missing from a lot of the last seasons because he was creating life as a new dad, but now he is back, and we are glad he is here. 
It's Mr. Turn Up Charlie Ridgely. What's going on, Charlie? Happy 2024, buddy. Yeah, happy, yeah, happy new new year that we're in. Another. It's definitely really different from the last year. I can tell you, we're weird. Everything changed when the calendar flipped. Our whole world reset and started anew. All Indeed. right. Good, because 2023 got weird. But uh, Charlie's here because uh, little do you guys know, but behind the scenes, like IRL, Charlie and I are part of, uh, you know, we are part of the founding cabal of the uh, Music City Film Critics, because comicbook.com is down here in lovely Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, Music City is the nickname of our city. So when I got down here, we started a critics group, and we've been going strongs for many years. And so every year while I'm up here doing this with you guys on all things geek culture, I got to get into all things cinephile culture on the side while Charlie and I have to just plow through a whole bunch of fancy movies, screenings and screeners and get our stuff together so we can put together these critics lists and help influence these big award shows. So Golden Globes is coming up, so it's our time to shine. And rather than bog down our show with a bunch of long discussions about this, I challenge Charlie to each of us just kind of dropping a sentence about these movies to give us a little rapid fire lightning action as we talk about all the fancy stuff half our geek fans don't care about. So starting right at the top, Charlie, you ready for this? Let's let's I will do my best. All right. So to be Barbie. one sentence wonder. All right. Barbie cultural phenomenon, billion dollar box office. I mean, this is the one that is the easy darling of award season for a lot of people to get behind. And why not, Charlie? Perfect. No notes. I'm just Ken should be the should win best song, even though Billy <laughs> is going to take it. Uh, Margot Robbie's perfect. Ryan Gosling's perfect. Greta Gerwig's perfect. Everything about this movie. Michael Sarah is especially perfect. Um, it's it's a it's the most rewatchable movie I've seen in years, and I'm, it's cool that a movie this big is getting so much love and awards. It deserves it. We've watched this movie six times in this household because Ember discovered it and is now all about the Barbie. So yeah, all right, from the Beebs to the Bobby. All right, next Saltburn. Woof! Wish I had watched a trailer for Saltburn before I saw it. I saw it before a lot of you who pranked your parents over the holiday season, and uh, it has lived rent-free in my head ever since. If nothing else, uh, Emerald Fennel, who did uh, Promising Young Woman, is making the case for her being an auteur, and there are a lot of performances in this that do deserve some consideration, starting with our eternal star, Barry Keough. So, yeah, but man, whew, not an easy watch. <laughs> Uh, Emerald Fennell is also Midge in Barbie for those of you who don't know um, and uh, I just watched this last night Kofi uh, and I actually really loved it it is I think it's glorious beautiful very intentional trash uh, it is meant to be trashy and demented <laughs> sure. and Barry is on another one and there are so many moments that are just designed to be shocking and to be ridiculous um, and I, I absolutely loved it because I, I, again, if the intention is there, it's it's a really really fun ridiculous ride. Um, Great it's a weird thing that it's a, that's in a, it's a, it's weird to release it in award season. This is very much a January movie, um, but you know, I, I liked it nonetheless. I'm not going to vote for best picture, but I will I will watch it again at some point. 
Also, you need to start keep start keeping an eye on Jacob Elordi, uh, who plays a character, man, one of the main characters in this film, and Elvis in a movie I left off our list, but Priscilla. Um, he's gonna be getting a lot of award season talk himself. Also, some really kind of really good I've, as time has gone on. Richard E. Grant from Loki is really he's, good in this. Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike is really um and then really the girl who played the sister. It was her acting debut. I don't remember her name. Um but she was fantastic. Allison Oliver. Yes. yes. She was also fantastic. fantastic. Great performances. Now, moving on to other great performances, the holdovers. Uh, our Yay! Head of, yeah, our head of video, John, he was really enthusiastic and got me to get out early and watch this one. Um, oddly enough, I grew up on a college camp- campus. Both of my parents are professors. So this one was interesting to me. Um, I would just say that it's moody Oscar stuff, but good performances all around, especially my girl from the idol. One of the only things to come out of the idol, uh, is my girl. I forget her name right now, but good performance. Joy Randolph. What's that? You're talking about Devine yeah. Joy Randolph. Yeah. 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 Don't, don't say from the idol. She I mean, broke out years ago when it was on Netflix and nobody paid attention. No, but I bro, I paid attention in the idol. Cause I even said, if nothing else, somebody should do something with this actress. And she was in, she was in, uh, my name is Dolomite, and she was phenomenal. Ah, that's right. Yeah, you're right. But the holdovers, I just say, it's your typical Oscar fair with great performances. It's a Paul Giamatti Oscar movie. Who doesn't love that? I just, It's not typical Oscar fair. I think this movie is delightful and charming and hilarious. Like, it, this is an, an, easy, an easy watch of a movie. I love the setting. I love the vibe. Um, you know, you just, Oscar right. bait is too serious, and, and Oscar bait is, like, trying too hard with subject matter that doesn't that isn't as interesting as they want you to think it is this is like actually funny and this has so much heart in it it's so sweet there are incredible performances i agree with you there giamatti and randolph are both likely going to win oscars once the academy awards roll around um it's just all all around i think a great great movie and without a doubt one of the best from from this year that was 10 sentences all right let's speed it up here we go american fiction one of jeffrey wright's best movies i've ever seen and as somebody who is a black writer, this movie spoke to me like crazy, but it's also just a really good movie movie. A whole story, actors, and a kind of premise that I've I, I've loved and haven't loved so much since uh, uh, Sorry to Interrupt You came out. So great, wild, one of the, I think one of the best screenplays I've seen this year, easily. It, way funnier than I ever imagined it would be. Uh, I, mean, I laughed out loud several times in this movie. Uh, and Jeffrey Wright is, I mean, incredible. He's the, the, he's the one I put up against Giamatti as the best of the year performance wise. It's, it's those, it's those two in a race to me. Um, and Sterling K Brown is yeah, best supporting absolutely him. insane in this, like in the best way. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah. I, I loved American he fiction. He steals every scene. He's so good that they put him in like the latest TV spots and trailers with that scene on the beach, right? With their the, neighbor. the beach one. And then when he gets in the, the I'm a grown man. I don't want to get out of the pool. That is, it's it's incredible. Oh yeah, he's a supporting actor for sure. And that's like I would say, like he's, I mean that that Glenn Gary Alec Baldwin style just comes in, steals a few scenes, quite crazy and looked off. But uh, moving right along, Ferrari. Um, I think this one's lost a lot of speed since its kind of festival debut. It's Michael Mann, but it's kind of by the numbers, and I'm not really sure what the point of this one that I was supposed to take away. Adam Driver is always compelling. Uh, Penelope Cruz is compelling, but beyond the two of them, not much here for me. I don't know. Charlie maybe felt different. Um, by the numbers, Michael Mann is still better than most anything else you're going to get from anyone else. Uh, and so 
I think Ferrari is a movie that, like Michael Mann's other films, you were going to look at 10 years from now and have very different opinions on. Um, his movies tend to age like the finest wine, and I, I, I think that Ferrari has the potential to do the same thing. All right, color purple. Um, big budget Oscar bait in the most classic way, right? I mean, like in the Dream Girls tradition, right? Uh, fantastic cast, fantastic performances, production design for days. Uh, but just, you know, I mean, and I wouldn't answer this for Charlie, but it was just okay. I mean, I, I don't know if it's because the old color purple holds such a like pivotal place in my heart, but this one was okay. But again, it's kind of like, I feel like in the Oscars race, it'll be somewhere middling because it it's just, it is like Oscar stuff, but does it distinguish itself in any kind of way beyond maybe like Fantasia? I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really with you on that. I think performances are fantastic. The music is incredible. Um, if you forgot what Fantasia can do, she is more than happy to remind you. And I'm very glad that she did um, because too many people forget how incredible and talented she is. Um, Danielle Brooks is, I think, going to be a big contender for for supporting actress. Um, beyond that, I think the the movie itself, you look at like the, the editing, the pacing, the design is great, but how some of the things are staged it does it doesn't keep up with the great performances at its core it can't it can't keep pace with how great the acting and, and the music is uh it, it's way slower than it should be at times like it, it's it, it's okay but it's worth it's worth watching because the performances lift it so much all right let's move over to mr todd haynes and uh his latest work which is uh may december Oh, man. May, December is one of several films that is hard to watch because of its subject matter this year. But outstanding performances from Julianne Moore and especially from Natalie Portman. And I think this one is on my list of favorites for screenplay because of what it actually says about Hollywood. It is a very intense movie about Hollywood, kind of mocking Hollywood, using two of Hollywood's biggest acting icons. So it, it's there's a weird meta level to it that makes it a very compelling watch. And this is kind of classic indie Oscar feel. Like it feels like a short story, perfectly kind of cut and told. Um, but I think this one will be performance heavy for the, for the people in the leads. And the uh, guy who plays the... Um, Charles Julian Melton. Melton. Charles, Charles Melton. Riverdale Melton, yeah. alum, Charles Melton. Yeah, so I think he has a shot at doing something here, too. Um, my night last night was I watched May, December, and Saltburn back-to-back. Oh! So, <laughs> if you thought you had a weird night, Woo! you did not. Um, May, December knocked me off my feet. It, it, is the, it is crazy. It should not be as entertaining as it is based on the subject matter, but I think Todd Haynes just finds that perfect line. And like you said, the the takedown of Hollywood and method acting – is what really I think brings it all together because it like that's the layer you need to be able to look at the story and it not just be gross and awful. It's like we're giving we're putting in other awful people and other awful things, and it's a bigger picture of just insecure. It was the, the line uh, insecure people are very dangerous. Yeah, and it, I'm sure. it, it, yeah, it puts it all in perspective, bringing in Portman's character. All the performances are fantastic. Melton really steals it though, and uh, and Corey Michael Smith. From uh, shout out Gotham, he was our our Ed Nigma, our Riddler on that show. He plays one of uh, Julianne Moore's children in this, and he is in like three or four scenes, 
and he steals every single one of them. He is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, all right. So dream scenario. Uh, not real quick. It's Nick Cage, and it's one of the wild again, script talking about script and story ideas and premises. One of the more original ideas I've seen, which is a man who starts showing up in everybody's dreams. And it's all about kind of, you know, popularity, influencer fame, and all of that stuff. But it's a very well-told parable about how that can start out feeling really great and then go really horribly wrong. And it's another way of just, you know, getting Nick Cage up there for consideration. But I also really like the screenplay and the kind of premise of this one. So, uh, Charlie. Um, as big as a Cage fan as I am, this is one of the few from this year I have not seen. Um, so we have, like you said, we're in the, uh, the Music City Film Critics. Our nominations are our nomination ballots are due tonight. And then we'll have a few days once those are counted up to do a final vote based on what gets nominated. And so I'm hoping somebody from this gets nominated. So I'll have an excuse next week to actually jump in and, and get to it. Um, but unfortunately, it's one that I have that I have missed uh, as much as I love Nick Cage. All right, let's keep it pushing. This one we can all, Connor, you can get in on this one, see if you've changed. We went to see The Iron Claw a while ago, and the hype for this movie has only grown. I was out at the theater seeing Night Swim, which we'll talk about briefly. But The Iron Claw is still pulling them in, and people seem to be responding to this one more so. I know as a big wrestling fan, Connor, you, you had issues with the kind of the fictionalization of the story, but I think that as I've had time go on and I've separated the facts from the fiction, I do really like how this movie is telling a story about fatherhood and fathers and sons and like what that legacy can be in a good and bad way and the complicated nature of both. Mm -hmm. And um, I think maybe it just spoke to me because I am in, you know, boy dad, you know, I spent the last year <laughs> dealing with boy dad stuff, but uh uh, it's grown on me since then, and, and I think this is a real award season, going to be a real award season's contender for cinematography, direction, acting, story. Um, wrestling might be coming up big. Well, I'm thrilled that it's doing well. I'm thrilled that people are still talking about it uh, a few weeks after its premiere. My my thing has always been that there was so much more they could have told that this honestly could have fit really well as a miniseries on a place like FX or HBO. Uh, what we get is pretty solid. I think it's the best uh, wrestling has physically looked on the big screen in terms of how it's filmed, choreographed, and whatnot. But yeah, it, there, there's just there's so many stories, and the more you read, the more you go, "Wow, they could have made Fritz so much more of a monster than he already is in the movie. They could have dived more into the brothers' relationships. More of the brothers could have had more screen time and dive into all the issues that they had." So if if what I'm if if I come out of your movie and I'm just asking for man I wish this was longer I wish it was more you've done something right, Charlie you see Iron Claw uh, yeah and that's where I disagree with Connor a little bit um, I something I love the most about this movie is the its restraint um, there this story is darker and more painful and more expansive than what we see on screen and I think do, doing all of that on screen in any capacity I think is too much. Um, reality is is so like, like this gives you enough of it and then it, so many people have now gone and read about the von elric family after this movie they've gone and explored it and they've gone and dove into the story i think this gave you just enough um to tell you everything you need to know but if you want to know more it's all up there for you also i'm sick of miniseries stop limited series i'm over it stop let's just 
do a TV show that runs for 10 seasons and gives me a new episode every week or give me a movie. I don't, I don't want any of this high profile Ryan Murphy garbage anymore. I'm done with it. All right. See, I rewatched Chernobyl, so you are way off on that one, Jar. I mean, there Everybody pull it in. Pull it in. We're not talking about any of that. <laughs> Let's go on. The zone of interest. Zone of interest. People are just now discovering this one, but this is a movie mm. that uh, I think is easily foreign film winner and definitely in contention for the big win. Um, this is one of the hardest movies I've ever had to get through. And it's one that I don't even recommend for theater. I recommend you sit at home, put on a, your best headphones and sit down and watch this movie. The sound design and editing is, it's unreal. There's a movie just in the sound editing. Um, and if you don't know what it's about in this lovely picture we're seeing on screen, it's about the, one of the commanders of Auschwitz and his family while they were living next door to the camp. And so over the wall is Auschwitz. Uh, but how the movie approaches that is unique among all World War II movies I've ever seen. And by the end, it, it will turn your stomach without any gratuitous violence, horror, or anything at all. Simply sound, editing, and perspective. Um, phenomenal film uh, from this year. Charlie? Pass. Pass, so, you won't it, 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 I'll see it. I'll pass on the movie entirely. I, I, I respect what Jonathan Glazer is doing. I get the point. I, I have no qualm with th I don't think it's going to be bad by any means. I think it is a lock for, for, you know, uh, international feature, but it is just in the place I'm in personally, personally, emotionally, mentally, I, I know I cannot, and I have no desire to sit and watch the casual nature of evil. Cause I, I think we can look around our world and we get it. Um, I understand what they're doing. Respect the hell out of making this movie. I'm glad it exists. It'll be a long time, if ever, before I sit down and watch it. I'm just gonna. Bro, that was the longest I haven't seen this thing I've ever had. All right, but I respect your opinion on that. It is a hard watch. I'm not going to lie to people. Next one is Maestro with Bradley Cooper, it's Leonard Bernstein, and it's short, sweet. This is just going to be, I think, a character-driven one where Ryan, Bradley Cooper, and Carrie Mulligan are looking for those next Oscars and. Deservedly so. Bradley Cooper is phenomenal in this as Leonard Bernstein. So um, it it is, I mean, I don't know how much this appeals to how many people, but if you love Bradley Cooper, it's a good performance. There you go. And if Bradley you love Bradley Cooper, it's one to watch because I think sometimes the film tends to say more about Bradley Cooper as a storyteller than about Leonard Bernstein. Um, this is a really good exploration of where Bradley Cooper is in his career and what a post- a star is born career looks like for him. And so I, it, it's, you know, if it's something you're into, it's something you're into. Uh, it's, it's worth watching. Um, I don't think it's as great of a movie as some of the other big awards contenders. The uh, biopic. Yeah. I mean, but, but, but Cooper's going to get recognized. rightfully So same with Mulligan, they, they deserve some conversation. Uh, next up is past lives, which made a big splash early on and fairly so. I mean, this is one of those kind of like heart-wrenching Oscar level worthy looks at romance and life and the complicated mess between them. And uh, yeah, I, I liked this. It was a very pleasant watch, but it didn't knock my socks off as, as much as some of the other films this year. Charlie, you felt differently though. Yeah, I felt different. This is my top movie of the year. Past lives is, is my, my number one for 2023. Um, it is, it, it did knock me off my feet. It, 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 it put tears in my eyes 
it is a, a wonderful story about not only love and romance and, and what that looks like over time, but wrestling with your past self and recognizing that your past self is a very valid person that existed, but is not who you are now and does not have to be in that. And that's valid. And okay. Um, it's, it's a really, really beautiful look. And it's a debut from Celine song who just knocks out of the park. Greta Lee is fantastic. Um, the cinematography in this is out of this world. There's some shots. I don't even understand how they got. Um, and the dialogue, you talk about screenplay, this screenplay, like there's one line from John Magaro says, you dream in a language I don't even understand. And that delivery alone, it's like soared to the top of my, my ratings for the year. I, I cannot talk uh, enough about past lives. And that's a Charlie movie right there. Let's talk about another possible one. Uh, Killers of the flower moon. We're going to wrap this up real quick. Cause we've talked about some of these. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, I've looked back, and it is long. And it is, uh, I mean, it's Martin Scorsese, so the craft is there. But I don't think, I still think there's a such a problematic twist with this movie, which is it, it doesn't have a good protagonist angle. I, I wish it had been about the woman and not DiCaprio's character, because it just this is just one of those things where the premise kind of strangles it. And there's going to be a theme for the end of the show. But yeah, DiCaprio's character being a guy who we're supposed to identify with as he's poisoning his wife, but also fighting against these dark forces, you know, like it didn't make sense. So it kind of didn't come together for me thematically. A lot of beautiful shots. I wish Marty could have edited them down more to some of just the best of the best. But uh, yeah, I think this is just, I don't know. I don't even know if I like this more or less than the Irishman. It's kind of bouncing up and down in my head. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's Oscars because it's Scorsese and DiCaprio. And I mean, I, I think, I think it is, but also I think it deserves it. I think DiCaprio's character is one that just screams classic Marty character there. He's complicated. He is not a good person. Um, he thinks he is though. And that's, that's the struggle we get to watch. Uh, Lily Gladstone is a force of nature. Uh, and I mean, never bet against Marty. This is true. Uh, Oppenheimer. Uh, I've rewatched this in 4k. It's only gotten better. Um, Nolan, the peak of Nolan, it just him abandoning some of the kind of tired formula, actually managing to capture a character and make people feel like humans more so than I've seen in a lot of his films and just the filmmaking craft and the editing and how this is put together alone is phenomenal. Looks great in 4K. Um, I think this is going to stick. Even though it came out in summer, I think this one's st- going to stick as a major kind of awards contender. Yeah, it's the same deal with Barbie. It, it's, it, they, they helped each other become the phenomenon they are. I mean, Oppenheimer is helping save digital media almost single-handedly, and that's dope. Um, you know, 4K is sold out everywhere. And... You know, I haven't been able to bring myself to rewatch it, but it I saw it in IMAX weekend it came out and it is a gorgeous movie. The from a technical perspective, from craftsmanship level, I mean, it uh, I don't think movies really get much better uh in, in terms of how they're made. It is just it is a it is a what a picture, you know, like that the Al Pacino, what a picture. It's just there's not a lot that hasn't been said about this. So I don't, I'm trying to find a new thing to say that hasn't already been said. And I miss anything because we've all talked about it for months and months, but there's a reason it is still at the forefront of this conversation, despite being released in July. It is 
uh, it is a phenomenal achievement for from Nolan. Connor and Matt, love it. Said love my it. piece last week. It. I still think comparing this to a Wu Tang Clan album was a highlight for me for 2023 on this show. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Matt, we don't think we heard you talk about Oppenheimer at all this year. Yeah, it's good. No, I mean, I just, you know, uh, I'm not the most. Uh, You're not a no one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I feel I, I think you guys have stated it all so well, though. I mean, this was a uh, this is easily one of, if not my, you know, favorite Nolan film. Um, and I and I think he did everything he set out to do. So it's uh, fantastic. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Napoleon, uh, another big director making another big Oscar bid. Ridley Scott. Phenomenal production design, cinematography, and, and just kind of filmmaking. Um, I don't know. I, I usually love Joaquin Phoenix, but this take on Napoleon where it was just basically Joaquin Phoenix was a little weird. I don't know if I learned any more about Napoleon himself. I think that Vanessa Kirby walks away with a lot of this movie. And Ridley Scott, as a directorial effort, as a guy who is still doing that classic Hollywood, I'm getting out here, I'm bringing hundreds of extras and horses and doing, getting the historical crap out of the basement and putting it all in a field and we shooting this. Like, yeah, you don't see that a lot anymore. It's well made that way, great battle scenes and things like that, but the actual central subject and Joaquin Phoenix's performance, I don't, I don't, I don't really rank it up there in award season. Vanessa Kirby, absolutely. Um. I think Ridley Scott's a crazy person. And I mean that as the the biggest compliment I can offer. He's He is a movie psycho. And this isn't my favorite Ridley Scott film by any means, but also I want to do everything. I want him to be able to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it, and just get all the money to make all of his crazy, ridiculous stuff. Uh, this is the kind of movie that, again, not the best, but I'm I'm super glad it's there because old cranky dudes – getting to make old cranky movies with hundreds of millions of dollars is it, it, it typically turns out pretty fun. Uh, you know, last duel was the same situation. It just, it turns out fun. Uh, and I think we're better having them than not. So that that's really, you know, Napoleon is not a big awards player for me, but I'm, I am glad it's there. Uh, I left one big thing off of here just because I have, <laughs> I forgot it's been so long since I've seen it. And yeah, so poor things with Emma Stone is also. I was wondering if you were going to talk about that because I didn't see the list and I was surprised. No, I just I, I knew I was going to forget something, and that was the thing I forgot because there's so many <laughs> of these movies that I forgot about it. But uh, poor things is great. Also, production design, story, performances, Ruffalo, Emma Stone, William Defoe. Like, there's so much going in that, and I wish it had more buzz. I don't think it's gotten that breakout mainstream exposure yet, and I hope it doesn't get forgotten about because it is very kind of artsy and and very kind of on the nose with its metaphors and and what it's saying but um very good and finally priscilla jacob elordi uh that movie sofia coppola about elvis courting a very young priscilla presley is also like may december not comfortable subject matter per se but jacob elordi as elvis in that movie fantastic like fantastic and that kid like may like, december though not funny not uh, funny at all no nope. <laughs> no humor in that one. No Todd Hayes black humor. Just straight up <laughs> making you uncomfortable about history. Um, so that's the award season breakdown from us. Those are the fancy movies. Charlie, thank you for coming on and breaking those down for me. 
We'll be talking about this as for the Golden Globe calls, some of the weaker ones out, and we can just distill it down to the Oscar talk. So thank you, Charlie Ridgely. We you love welcome, you. Man. Or no. As my sign-off, I just want to say, Matt, because I was thinking, listening earlier when you guys were talking, Reacher has been officially renewed for season three. Woo-hoo! It is not a tease. It is official. And when I talked to Alan Richardson ahead of season two, he was actually on set filming season three already. So they are in in the middle of production. Oh, that makes me so happy. It, they are churning out. Kofi said you can churn it. That's exactly what they're doing. They, I don't know when it's going to be done, but it is already being made. So, oh, so happy. Halfway very long after season two is over. And today's season two episode is the best of the season so far. Uh, just incredible stuff. Shout out to Dominic uh, Lombardazzi, uh, my, my entourage guy. He is uh, the best character in season two. So awesome. And he's playing a cop like he did 20 years ago on the wire. All right. So uh, just cleaning up a couple comments from our live show viewers. Um, Yes. All in the game over on YouTube. Anatomy of the fall is one that is it's next up in my queue. So I haven't seen that yet, but it is sitting on top of my PS five and all of us strangers with Andrew Scott is one I've been really wanting to see too as well, but I haven't gotten to see those two. So I can't weigh in on those. And uh, yeah, we didn't dip into animation, but the boy in the herring is excellent. Across the Spider-Verse, of course, is excellent. You know, Ninja Turtle, like there's a bunch of animated stuff that we could just do a whole <laughs> breakdown. I got these for Christmas. But like the boy <laughs> in the herring and Across the Spider-Verse are two obvious. It, it, major it's it's a two-horse race in animation between those two. Yeah, it, basically. It's, it's basically top. those two. It's, so, they're yeah. going other, especially in a year when Disney's not really a player. No. Uh, those two were it's Studio Ghibli and Across the Spider Verse. So that was an easy one. We just kind of hair on, not the herring. Sorry, heron. The boy, the boy in the heron. Thank you. From I can't even say your name, Yabio Slaughter forty four. Uh, for your boy is laughter forty four. Yeah. All right. Now I'm gonna keep this short and sweet. I went to see the new film from the powerhouse combination of Blumhouse Entertainment and Atomic Monster, Night Swim. And Night Swim is the feature-length adaptation of a, a, of a short film by Rod Blackhurst and Bryce McGuire from 2014, which after, like, we the last crop of horror directors from, like, Lights Out, Mama, which gave us... Mama gave us Andy Machete. Lights Out gave us Davis F. Sandberg. Oculus gave us... Um, what's his name from Midnight Mass and all that? Flanagan. Uh, Flanagan. Mike Flanagan. I thought we were done with this in the 2010s where we were going to short films on YouTube and pulling out directors and being like, these is the future of horror. But, you know, here we are with Night Swim trying to lap, do some late laps in the pool. All right. So this is based on a 2014 three minute short film about a haunted pool. You don't have to see this. It's early January. You can skip this. It has Wyatt Russell and Carrie Condon, who are two fantastic character actors um carrie condon you've seen on like better call saul hbo's rome and a whole bunch of other stuff wyatt russell's of course in monarch and you know falcon and the winter soldier and kind of kurt russell's son in overlord um but this is one of those cases where simply the story strangles the movie uh i don't want to get into it but since i'm telling you this is like a one and a half two star review for me the basic premise is there's a pool this family moves in it's haunted but why it's haunted and what it what is going on there is one of the directors of the short directs and writes this full length one, Bryce McGuire. He kind of shimalons it. He, he's trying to make like a dark gothic fairy tale. Not even my words; it's a quote. 
And so there's a fairy tale element to this, to what's happening in the pool. And they keep it a mystery for most of it. But when you find out, you're like, oh, well, that's actually, I mean, why I get it's scary for the characters we've established. It's not that scary as a horror movie. It's just not. Like, there's not going to be rampant mayhem and murder and body counts and anything that scary. It's basically a pretty like straightforward premise. So it's not scary. It's weird. It's confusing about the rules and like what happens in the pool and, and all that. So it ends up being a lot of wasted time. So sorry, Night Swim's not that great. All right. Well, you, so, mean, you, you mean to tell me that the January horror film release was bad? Yo, no. we can get some good things early in the year. We've had like happy death days and other stuff that have come out that have actually been pretty promising. And for 50 yeah, yeah, but this is one of the bad ones. You're so this is sad. a look up the twist on Google type thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, yeah. Because I am curious as to what it is now <laughs> from your description, but I will just Google it. I'm not gonna. Watch yeah, just it. Google it. You'll you'll right. save yourself some time. You know what? Let's just write about it when I get out of here. I'll write a post. Boom! There it is. Boom! You know. All right. Uh, I'll save my thing for for next time because I know we're out of time. So we'll just push that to next week. Oh, you sure? Yeah, Take yeah, it to yeah. Ride. Make it see review. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. We'll push it to next week. All right. Well, we are giving your whole agenda entire spinoff show. So check out Matt's larger <laughs> agenda every Wednesday on the full list. And then you can come back here next week on Comic Book Nation and find out what it is he's also been up to. Because this kid's always up to something except sending my me. There my, it is. I knew it was coming. Yeah, he won't send me something's killing the children. If you're just getting into season six, we're going to look at it now. We're going into the second season of me waiting on Matt to send me something's killing the children. One of the most acclaimed comic books of the last few years, which is becoming a possibly acclaimed TV show. But he's he's pulling a power move over here, holding my baby hostage. All right. As you can see, this is Comic Book Nation season six, where we do it all for geek culture. We've been all around the bend today. We've talked about everything that's kind of Marvel related. I don't remember if we did anything DC, but uh, we also talked about anime. We usually do wrestling. We, we do everything. So be sure to subscribe on YouTube, the comicbook.com YouTube page, the Comic Book Nation YouTube page, and subscribe to our podcast and your favorite podcast platforms. We're on Apple and Spotify and all of that. And yes, this season, program notes, guys, we are looking to expand. We've kind of, we're looking at the idea and we would love feedback from our regular fans because you guys are the best. But we're looking at going maybe and giving everything its own little segment. We might be going daily. We might have a day for wrestling, as people are saying. They want to know what Connor and Matt think about The Rock coming back for WrestleMania and all this other stuff. So we might have to create a space for that. Anime has been bubbling. We might create a space for that. A gaming day. Comics day we already got. We got all kinds of things in the works. So subscribe now. Stay tuned because at the very least, your favorite single thing is going to get highlighted. And we will always have this show where we do it all for geek culture. Thank you guys for joining in. If you guys are returning, thank you for returning for the sixth year. A lot of you. Five years, four-year fans, three-year fans. We love you all. Thank you to my co-hosts for, you know, entering the second half of a decade sitting up here with me and talking about all this. Thank you to our crew behind the scenes and everybody you don't even know who does all the design work for our cool new, you know, look at it. We got a cool new logos. We got new music. And thank you to everybody who's done that over their holiday season to help us launch season six. We got bigger, better. It's getting better than ever. This is Comic Book Nation. We're out of here for now. Peace.
Later.